This morning we're going to be back in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 as we're looking at the Lord's prayer, the prayer that He gave His disciples to pray. And so uh, if you need a pew Bible, if you don't have a copy of God's own word with you this morning, there should be a Bible near you and you can turn to page 811. That'll be on page 811. Let us read uh, this prayer once again. We're reading it every week. By the end of our journey at the end of August, we should have memorized this, correct? Most of us know it anyway, for sure. So here, the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for the grace that it spills into our hearts and our minds. The grace for life and for living in the gospel. And we know that the flower fades and the grass withers. And we know that your word will stand forever. And so may it stand today in our own hearts as we hear it and receive it. And as we, in your grace, live it out. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Every once in a while, you come across some gold. The last night, I was trying to do some hacking, you know, on the internet. And I actually hacked into Rick Lynn's terrible joke page. Okay? Now, I'm kind of joking about that, but he does tell some terrible jokes. So I came across some terrible jokes, and so I thought I'd share them with you here this morning, and maybe Rick can make a real list of these jokes to take with him to have some change in his humor. So let me ask you a question. Why did the king go to the dentist to have his teeth crowned? Yeah, you see how bad they are? All right. Why did the king put money, a, a bank, I'm sorry, a bank money machine in every castle? So he could make nightly deposits. What do you call it when, a, uh, when the knights get up to change their seats at the round table? You call it the night shift. Where do the king's knights eat dinner? At an all-night diner. And when a king has back problems... What's the usual diagnosis? An aching back. All right, enough of that. Enough of that foolish royal revelty. Let's turn that aside. One of the things that we can really see in Scripture is a very seriousness about the topic of the kingdom of God. It is amazing. When you look at uh, the New Testament, for example, that central theme jumps at, into our faces uh, from the very beginning. In the book of Matthew, as, as Matthew introduces Jesus' public ministry in verse 417, he says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just a few verses later in verse 23, Matthew says, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. 
and healing every disease and sickness among His people. Luke is even more pointed to the purpose of Jesus' mission. Listen to what what Jesus said. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Notice the compulsion that Jesus has about preaching the kingdom of God. You even see this theme in Paul in the book of Acts in his preaching, focusing on time and again the kingdom of God. And while we would say, rightly so, that the kingdom of God does not occur in the Old Testament in those words, the kingdom of God, still it is there, the notion is there that God is a king and He has kingly rule. In fact, the theme is so pervasive throughout the Scriptures, it should not be surprising that it is actually one of the petitions that Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. Your kingdom come. It's a petition. For here is the thing. How can the Father's name be hallowed? How can it be hallowed? Hallowed be the name. How can it be hallowed? if His royal rule is not acknowledged. How can that be the case? For us to acknowledge this kingdom rule, we must understand His kingdom. So today, as we come to the second petition that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to answer two questions, and they'll be our main point. First of all, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Secondly, um, uh, what does it mean for us especially in light of being taught to pray, your kingdom come. In other words, how can we understand the kingdom in order to apply it into our lives, especially in our prayers? To do that, we have to understand it. So, what is the kingdom of God? Now, if someone were to come up to you and ask you, What is the kingdom of God? When we think of the term kingdom, we think of all sorts of things. Our minds might travel over to Great Britain and we may think of all the royalty there and all the various beauties and and glamour and glitz of the modern British monarchy. Or we may think of the historical kings and their kingdoms throughout world history. You may have one or two in mind now. Perhaps you would maybe think of some literary kingdom that's not real, but... You've read about it, and you think about it, and it's, it's imagined, but it's in literature. Whatever the case may be, when you think of the word kingdom, James Montgomery Boyce most rightly points out that the more someone studies the statements in the Bible about the kingdom, the more one feels it transcends any of those temporal concepts. So whatever we may think of earthly kingdoms, it's a mere shadow of God's glorious kingdom. And so today, what I want to do is I want to sort of paint a picture, uh, give a broad overview of the kingdom of God, knowing very well that there's no way in our time that we could just cover every aspect of it. Just we want a broad overview. There's been literally, and I'm not kidding, thousands and thousands of pages written on this topic. One of my favorite writers is a man named Graham Goldsworthy. 
Uh, he is an Australian Anglican theologian. He's an evangelical. He specializes in Old Testament biblical theology, and he has defined the kingdom of God in this way. So here, the definition. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing, which is mediated through God's human king. Now, as we unpack that, let's set it up with this focus in mind. So we have to, we we're going to focus on it, but we have to have a little bit of backdrop, just a tad, to really get the fullness of what the kingdom of God is. When one steps back and he glances at the overarching view of the Bible, we see that its climax is in the person and in the ministry of Jesus. As noted, his ministry is characterized as bringing the kingdom of God. So hear me, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, it is the good news that the long-awaited kingdom of God has arrived. Mark 1, 14-15 says that the gospel that Jesus preached was that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So you have to have that understanding as we look at the Scripture of what the Lord's drawing our, our minds to here as we're praying this prayer. As we look at the Gospel, and rightly so, as the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross specifically applied to me, it specifically applied to you personally, and, and, and the idea of His resurrection and the hope it brings, that is the Gospel. However, if we only look at the gospel individualistically, hear me, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. The gospel is a little more than that. That's why there's books written on what is the gospel. Because Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God. Do you see? So why Jesus did die for you and me personally, He died for us corporately. And His saving calls us into a new kingdom relationship. A relationship with Him. A relationship with one another. In, in and under new kingdom values. That's how the Scripture would have us look at this. So let me unfold this for us as we consider the kingdom of God. And, and with the help of Graham Goldsworthy's definition and insights, we'll see how this unfolds before us. So let's look at the, that concept there. God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing, and God's human king, just in a grid of the Bible. So first of all, take it to the very beginning chapters of Genesis. What's going on in Genesis? You see that theme there. First of all, God's people, who were the first people that God created? Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 1, we see that Adam and Eve are created to serve God. And they have an intimate relationship with God which, in which He speaks with them. He walks in the cool into the evening of the garden with them. And, and that gives us a hint. Where, where were they? They were in God's place. He created a garden specifically for them. He put them in that garden. And He gave them a life there to work. And it, it was beautiful. Uh, it had plenty of food. Um, there they met God and they communed with Him. 
Not only did God give them, make a people and give them a place, but God also gave them a rule and a blessing. So at the creation is the moral law which is written on Adam and Eve's heart. The creation mandate and the prohibition about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the blessing of God was upon Adam and Eve and they lived under His good and His glorious and His gracious rule. So who was the human king there? It was Adam. Adam was the king. He represented all who would be descended from him and Eve. God's, at God's command, He enabled Adam and Eve to have dominion. Notice that dominion over the creation. And gave them the right to rule as the king and queen over this world. Obviously, they're under His authority, but He was the human king. And we know it's true as we read the Scriptures. I give you dominion. Take dominion over the earth. Who has dominions? Kings. Kings have dominions. So you see this. You see this unfold. Another thing is this. As, as king, Adam represented every human who would be born through his physical union with his wife, Eve. Which now... Hindsight, looking back, is sad. Why? Why is it sad? Well, because um, under uh, Adam, mankind and and the entire world after him, the world of people after him, were cursed because of his rebellion. That's why when you open up the newspapers, that's why when you, when you look around you, you see the brokenness. Brokenness in homes, brokenness in society. That's why the government cannot care for you like you would like the government to. Your husband cannot care for you like you would like your husband to. The educators cannot care for our children like we would like them to. Our employers do not care for us like we would like them to. We're broken. Sin has entered the world because of Adam, the king who represented everyone. The entire human race sinned and therefore was cursed. And so all sinned and were therefore cursed. You could read about that in Romans 5. In the fall, here's the thing you need to see. They're no longer God's people. Why is that? Because they rejected Him. They're removed from God's place out of the garden, sent away. They have left God's rule and blessing, rejecting it and disobeying His Word by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And last, Adam, as God's human king, abdicated his place of rule through his disobedience. Now, very quickly in the story, in the history that we have in Genesis, God set to remedy that by promising a Redeemer in His confrontation with Adam and Eve and the serpent. However, the majority of their descendants after them, as you continue reading the Scriptures in Genesis, turned away and did not trust God. And you can see that from Cain, who slew his brother, who killed his brother, committed the first murder, all the way up until Noah. At that point, do you remember God said, and He used the words, I regret I have made them. They were broken. They were sinful. Their thoughts were always sinful. They totally ran away from God and did what they wanted to do. 
They did not follow him or become part of his restoration process through his promised Redeemer. And so, as we look at that aspect, you can see the kingdom of God laid out in, in those things. God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing, and God's human king. So what does it look like then in the redemptive picture? Let's use that same grid if you're following me here. And I want you to follow me here because listen, if you get a hold of this, it, it, it frames your mind to live biblically. That's why we're going through this, okay? So what about the kingdom of God in terms of redemption? God's people first. Let's think about God's people. They're formed as they believe His promise of a Redeemer. So in Genesis 3.15, those who would believe in God and His promised Redeemer and will follow Him would be part of His people. When we get to Genesis 12, God took Abraham and He covenanted with him and his descendants that they might be His people, that through Abraham and his descendants, eventually people from every tongue, tribe, and nation of the world would come and be part of God's people. This would ultimately happen through the work of Jesus Christ, as Galatians 3 tells us. Do you remember Paul saying, in the fullness of time? So God's people were those who trusted in His plan for a Redeemer. Then we look at God's place. is once again among His people. If you follow the Scriptures, you see the story. I've preached on this before. God, He removes mankind from out of the garden. He was walking with them. He was talking with them in the cool of the evening. And so as we move on into Scripture, how does He get close to His people again? He comes into their presence through the tabernacle. He's with the people in their midst. They're following Him through the desert. It's amazing. He's with His people. And and later on, He he makes Himself known in in the temple. And then when you get to the book of Matthew, when Jesus comes on the scene, what's going on there? Jesus is walking around in human flesh as God. And man, but as God. God is with His people. Emmanuel. God with us. Christmas. (laughs) Jesus came to be a part of this world. To save us. But here's the thing. Remember Jesus was crucified? Remember He was put in a grave? And then we hear the story that He, was, he rose from the dead and then He ascended into heaven and the disciples were just trying to hold on to Him as tight as they could. Why? Why would you want God to leave your presence? But what did Jesus say? I will give you one. And in your hearts, there'll be greater things done. And Paul said, the hope of all glory, Christ in you. Christ in you. How close is God to you right now? Think about that. Just think about it. God's people. God's place. Coming eventually in the New Testament to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit under God's rule and blessing. The the Ten Commandments are set forth 
for God's people by Moses. And later, we experience that as the Old Testament says, as the Spirit comes and dwells as His people, He writes the law of God on their hearts. So even as we read the Word, and that's why we pray before we preach that God would illuminate this Word to us. That we would understand it in our hearts and in our minds. And that we grow in depth with that. So God's rule for us, His blessings for us through the Scripture is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And finally, God's human King. Who is the human King? We get a glimpse of him in the Old Testament with David. David came and he was God's man, a man after God's own heart. Sure, he was a sinner, which was a problem. But God made a promise. Out of you, there will be a lasting, everlasting kingdom. And so through the line of David came Jesus, the Son of God. He is the fulfillment. He is the King. He is being Jesus Christ, the son of David. So listen, where Adam failed, where David failed, where any of the kings of Israel failed, or any other human king has fallen short, the Lord Jesus Christ is the true human king who is also God. So let that grid settle in your mind. As you come to the Scriptures, think about that. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing which is mediated through God's human king. Now, let me add just one more like section of the portrait for us of the kingdom of God before we move on to our major application point in prayer and understanding what this means for us. When Jesus reveals the kingdom of God he began, it began with His first coming. But listen to me. He came as the King. And remember what He's saying? The kingdom of God is at hand. Why is that? Because I'm in your presence. The King is here. The King is here. And, and He destroyed the enemy. So He's defeated His enemies. But then, in that destruction, He had to be crucified because blood must be spilled to cover our sins. And that's why He is the ultimate sacrifice for us. But He raised from the dead. Historically true. And He ascended into heaven. And now, where does He sit? He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And He's he's waiting to come back. So, do we say that the kingdom has disappeared from us because the king is gone? No. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about that just a minute. How important is God are God's people, let's just put it this way, the church, that how important is the church in this world? We are the people of God. And so what this tells us about the kingdom is this. The theologians call it the now, not yet aspect of the kingdom. Jesus has inaugurated His final stage of the kingdom in His earthly ministry. He came as the King. It continues today in the church. And it will end when it reaches its ultimate end when Jesus Christ returns in glory. When the trumpet sounds and He returns, the King will Fully consummate the kingdom. So what will that look like? Same grid. 
God's people, which will consist of the redeemed, the resurrected men and women from every people, group, nation, language, tongue of the world. All who are His will be resurrected from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is our hope in our resurrection. Second of all, God's place. It will be a renewed earth. It's interesting to me how we'll focus so much today on that little piece of land in Jerusalem. A little piece of land in Israel. When what I hear my Bible say is this, the whole earth is mine. I'm coming back for it. Because I created the whole earth to be mine to begin with, and Adam blew it. And so I had to establish a little teeny tiny kingdom for my people. And even then, they couldn't hold on to it because they were so rebellious. I was listening to the Scriptures yesterday when I was working, and and it said they are an abstinent, hard-hearted bunch of people. That's what the Lord called them. And I said, and so is your church, Lord. It is about an entire planet, and that's the key right there. God's place. We will not be angels waiting to receive wings, bell rings. We are not going to be floating around in the clouds playing harps. 2 Peter 3.13 says we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth which righteousness dwells. Wow. Revelation 21 pictures God at the end of time dwelling with His people in the new Jerusalem forever and ever and ever. What will that look like exactly? I don't know, but we'll be on the earth. The new earth, the renewed earth, the restored earth. So don't think that we're going off to some mystical, heavenly, whatever that looks like. Some light that you walk into that you've seen them in a movie. It will be the earth. We'll have flesh. We'll eat. We'll walk. We'll do incredible things. Who knows? I might get to live in the mountains again. That's what I keep praying for anyway. God's rule and blessing is the next part of the grid. God's people... Uh, the redeemed people, God's place, a new heavens, a new earth. God's blessing and rule will be enjoyed forever by His unchangeably righteous people. Revelation 21 again demonstrates that all the effects of the fall will be removed. Can you imagine being able to have a perfect relationship with someone? Where you're not fearful. Where you're not afraid to be known. Where we get along and are able to communicate rightly and lovingly. Can you imagine? It's hard for me to, to be honest with you, but I try. That is God's rule and blessing. All sin wiped away perfect forever. And God's human king, again, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the scripture tells us in Revelations 5 that God's people will reign with him. The king. We will reign with him. I don't know exactly what that looks like either, but that's what the scripture tells us. It's a mystery, but it's a glorious mystery. And his reign, in Jesus' reign, Jesus will renew the earth and it'll be so glorious and beautiful and awesome. So think about what is the kingdom of God. 
It is God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing with God's human king reigning. Do you think you might have that now in your mind? That's the grid I want you to have. So that is the kingdom of God. Now, what does this mean to us? What does all that mean? That's great, Patrick. Thank you for sharing all that biblical knowledge. But okay, what does that mean? I hope the Holy Spirit's been pricking your heart as you listen to this and as you think about it. Because there's all sorts of glorious things here you can unpack from that. The first thing that I would like to show you is this. First of all, the gospel of the kingdom necessitates a response to the king. You may remember the history of the rich young ruler in the Scripture. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal earth? What what must I do? The focal point of the dialogue, and rightly so, is to point out the great idol in his heart. What was the idol of the rich young ruler? It's titled the rich young ruler. So what was the idol of his heart? It was riches, right? You remember that, right? Jesus said, go and sell everything you own. We like to focus on that point, don't we? Because, because we do. I mean, we look at it and we need to understand the idols of our hearts. But we need to push through that and not miss a greater principle in the, destruction, in, the, in the discussion. What did Jesus say after He said, go and sell everything you own? He said, follow me. Follow me. Now listen to me. Understand that it is not the church that draws the lines of of following Jesus and of living under His kingdom values. The church has drawn many lines in, in, in its history that she was never meant to draw. And you even have that in the New Testament with, with um, um, Paul uh, and Peter arguing over uh, the, the, the aspect of the church and, and, and how they are to follow the Lord in terms of circumcision. The Father, the mighty I Am, is the one who draws the lines. And and the singular determining dynamic of whether one is included in the kingdom of God is one thing, and it's actually one person, and that is Jesus. You have to respond to the King to be in the kingdom of God. You have to turn to Him. And you have to live in His kingdom values, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a moment. By coming to Him, we are saying, Lord, we know that You have come. And You have given Your life to pay the blood penalty for sin. That that blood penalty must be paid for sin. And Jesus established His kingdom in the line of David as the everlasting kingdom. He is the good king. He is a faithful king. He's a sacrificial king of steadfast love and mercy. And so the question is, is what will we do with this Jesus? The question before all of humanity is this, is He or is He not your king? To the rich young ruler, he communicated the need of both repentance. Sell it all. Give it all away. Get the idol out of your heart and come follow me. Turn away from self and idols. But he also communicated the need of faith. A turning to the person of Jesus himself. Follow me. What a king. The question is, is will we serve that king? How will we respond to Jesus personally?
That's the first thing that I want you to see here when we think about the kingdom of God. Secondly, the call to follow Jesus is to live for the king and his kingdom. What this is, well, this is what I like to call kingdom values. You'll hear me saying that some. It's kingdom values. It's, it's the values that the king himself has established. We have to understand that in, in that aspect that we are in the now part of the kingdom. The kingdom really is here, again, because Christ indwells us. Yet we are still indwelt with sin and sometimes sinning in very, very unkingdom-like ways. And thinking about it this week, I was, I was thinking about the current state of the church. And when it le- at least when it comes to the broader perspective of the evangelical church, um, uh, sometimes I think we think too much or worry too much about the world not abiding in the kingdom of God. That we're all shook up because America is no longer a Christian nation. And here's my point. Like, God's not in control. Oh my gosh. Jesus, what are we going to do? The world's not following you. Should that surprise us? What did Jesus say? The world will hate me. And they'll hate you too. Because of me. Now, if you look at the Bible... Look at Revelation, you look at John, you see these cyclical things going on. If you look at church history, there's a cyclical thing going on always where, you know, the people of God are very strong. Let me just give you an example. Whatever happened to the great awakenings in America? When I studied church history, that was one thing that really shook me up. If the great awakening was so powerful, why is it still not lasted? The only thing I can say about that is is this. Because God didn't want it to. He started it to begin with. It wasn't a movement of any men. When you got to the second great awakening, when Finney was running around trying to stir everybody up, whip it up, whip up that, 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 that whole revival, sitting in Columbia Bible College and chapel, this man gets up and he starts going on and on and on. And he starts crying out, we're going to have a revival right here. And he's laying down on the stage and he's crying out to God. And it's just weird. And I'm like, where are the people here? Where are the professors? Are they going to say anything about this? What's going to happen? And he just keeps on and on and on. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, it's like 1230. It's 30 minutes past the time chapel was supposed to end. Is anybody going to end this thing? I don't know what they were doing. My roommate looked at me and he says, this is creepy. We're out of here. You can't stir it up. It doesn't work that way. Why is that? Because the Lord is the King. The Lord is the King. And so when you are sitting around and you are worried about the world, This is my issue. I think the church should be more worried about whether they're following God's kingdom rules. Do you get it? Am I being faithful to the Lord? Are we being faithful to the Lord? Brian will tell you. There's not a whole lot of difference between the statistics for abortion in the world than there is in the church. Why is that? 
you might think that the Lord's going, okay, church, you're the ones that are turning away from me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this. And when he begins to deal with that, guess what happens? Everybody else around is in a worse state than we are as the church. Does that make sense? Folks, are we God's people? Are we His people? Have we been called to live for the King in His kingdom? We are to be as witnesses of this world. Let me put it this way. The church is the kingdom. But the kingdom is not the church. The kingdom is broader than the church. But the church is the kingdom. And so unless the people who who are not part of the kingdom see the kingdom in the way it's supposed to work, it makes things difficult. Now, I say it this way. There is grace, grace, God's grace and all that. Praise the Lord and we need that. But understand at the same time, we are called by grace, through faith, to good works. Therefore, our kingdom living on every level is the witness along with our proclamation of the way we live. Listen to Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We are exhorted, each one of you, and encouraged uh, and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. Could it be any clearer? Why would He call us to this? Ephesians 3.10 So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that we not only bear witness to the world around us, but to the heavenly beings. It's amazing, isn't it? So, the question that I ask you is, is are we not called, are we not as His people called to be His ambassadors? Ambassadors for the King The Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Remember, when you look at the kingdom, what did Jesus do in that first verses when He was coming, when I was talking about Matthew there? What did He do? He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what did He do? He was healing people. He was restoring people. So that's kingdom work. That's what the king does. He brought restoration. He brought forgiveness. He brought comfort. He brought peace. He brought compassion. He brought joy. He brought hope. He brought faith. He brought love. Might we in this way in our homes, no less. In our fellowship, no less. And in the world, no less live out those kingdom values. That Jesus' name would be known throughout this earth. That we may shine 
as lights in the darkness. <sighs> Take a breath. Because now I want you to think about prayer. Our third application point under this, what does the kingdom of God mean to me? And now, especially in prayer, let's look at that prayer aspect real quick. First of all, I gave you six little words, all ours. I thought this up last night. It was pretty fun. Rule. First of all, rule. Your kingdom come means that Christ is king and that what we want is his rule to become more and more evident every day. And what we have to understand is, is that must be in our lives first. So when we pray, thy kingdom, your kingdom come or thy kingdom come, if you want to use that old King James language, praise the Lord, we want it to come. Come in my heart first. Come in me first. Come in my family. Come in my church. Come in my pastor's life. And then spread out into this world, Lord God. Rule. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your rule. Secondly, revitalize. It's an evangelistic missionary discipleship prayer. It is that the blessings of salvation will flow, that the church will grow in size and influence, and that Christians will grow in maturity, and that we would obey Jesus in every life, or, or every area and sphere of life. That we would say, Lord, Your will be done. We'll talk about that next week, but that's what's what we want is your will be done. So in other words, I need to be obedient to your will. And that has evangelistic aspects, it has missionary aspects, it has discipleship aspects. And this is my thing is, is evangelism and discipleship go like this. They're not two separate things. They're never two separate things in Scripture. They're always like this. So we want the Lord to revitalize us, revitalize people around us. Return is number three. We pray that Christ will return beyond prayer. We long to see Him face to face. And so when we pray that, we're saying, Lord, I'm so ready for You to consummate Your kingdom. So come quickly. Now we know from Peter that the reason why he tarries is that so may, others may be saved. And we want that too. That's part of that evangelistic aspect. But we also want Him to come in fullness. Uh, number four, restore. It is to pray for the restoration of all things. That His kingdom will come in its perfect form. It is already here in Christ in His Spirit. And yet, it is not yet. So when He comes, He's going to restore everything. And I want you to just think about that for a minute. He's going to restore broken relationships. He's going to, and that's, I think that's the key. He's going to restore the earth that we've abused. You know, all the folks that want uh, to save the planet, Jesus is going to. <laughs> He's going to. Despite our stupidity and our, and our, our, our thoughtlessness. Number five, rain. It is to ask the Lord to reign in our lives right here, right now. Again, that's sort of like that rule. It's the reign. It's the same thing, but it's, it's a different aspect of looking at it. Ask the Lord, rule in my life. Reign in my life. Be my God. And number six, risk. Finally, the prayer for the establishment of kingship in Christ Jesus in human hearts does not exclude the necessity of work. It's not as though we say, okay, Lord, here you are. Thy kingdom come, it's all on you. We are going to reign with Him. 
And so, even now, there must be preaching, there must be teaching, there must be witnessing, there must be Bible translation, there must be distribution, there must be follow-up work, etc., etc. The good works that Paul tells us about in Ephesians. Those are the ways that you can use this prayer and pray. Now, let me close with this question. What is God doing around us in this day and age? What is He doing? Rejoice. Brothers and sisters, rejoice with me. Because what He's doing is He has taken people from every imaginable condition and every situation, from every corner of this globe, what he's doing is he's taking deadbeats and athletes and politicians and morticians and alcoholics and workaholics and wise guys and dimwits and clerks and judges and shredians and dropouts and blue collar and white collar and doctors and lawyers and teachers and housewives and black lives and white lives. And he is taking them and he's turning them into men and women in whom Jesus is present and he is transforming into his image with an ever increasing kingdom of glory. That is what He is doing. So when you are tempted to take that face app on your phone and to look at your future as an old person, you don't have to do that. You don't have to let the Russians have all your information or anyone else have your data. The important thing is this. If you were to snap that picture, would you look like the king? Let's pray.